Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 939. Page 939. And so I do want to give you a bit of a warning. So we begin Romans this morning. This is going to take many, many years. I can't tell you how long it will take. I can just tell you this morning we're getting through, by God's grace, one verse. So Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And so our series title for this as we walk through this is true righteousness. The outside of Jesus Christ, there is no righteousness for us as sinners. Romans 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was ascended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So we begin verse by verse looking through Romans. Why Romans? Why right now? Why the extended time in this letter? To put it to you very briefly, Jesus Christ is absolutely everything. The letter of Romans most clearly articulates the gospel and describes the work of God redeeming a soul. We will study in depth the Lord, true righteousness, faith, grace, justification, sanctification, glorification, holiness, the sovereignty of God, election, human responsibility, judgment, the goodness of God, encouragement from God, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, future glory, the promises of God, Israel, Christian behavior, the glory of God, and those are just to name a few things. That the gospel of God saves, the gospel of God sanctifies, it strengthens, sustains, and it is sufficient. The author of this epistle is the Apostle Paul. In this letter, we will learn much about Paul, the untimely born apostle. We will learn about his life, his ministry, his calling. The date of this letter is most likely sometime between A.D. 55 to the early part of A.D. 57 at the close of his third missionary journey. Paul most likely penned this letter, this extremely long letter, during his three months in south-central Greece while in the city of Corinth, as described in Acts 20, verses 2 and 3. In fact, two of the early manuscripts declare on the side of those manuscripts that it was written while 
in Corinth. This letter is 16 chapters, and it includes the most systematic instruction of true righteousness in all of Scripture. At the time this letter was penned, Paul had not yet even visited Rome. But the faith of the Roman Christians was known to him, and he longed to be with them. He longed to come to them, but he had always been postponed. He had been hindered. I know you're wondering this. Did he ever make it there? Yes, but not like he intended. He made it there in chains. And not long after he arrived, he was martyred for the proclamation of sole fide. That is, faith in Christ alone saves. It's quite possible that the gospel was first delivered to Rome right after Pentecost. For visitors from Rome were present at Pentecost, according to Acts 2, verse 10. So the setting. Rome was the capital as well as the most important city of the Roman Empire. With a population of over one million at the writing of this letter, it made it the largest city in the entire world. In the location of this city, it was located along the banks of the Tiber River, close to the Mediterranean, which made it a hub. It was, it was the city that controlled the coastline, so to speak. Rome was huge, in which innumerable pagan gods were worshipped. You cannot walk through the city without seeing this, without seeing the statues, without seeing people laying down prostrate before them, worshipping false gods. And Nero ruled. The one who eventually burned the significant part of the city, blaming Christians and persecuting them for it. When one reads Romans, there are many literary features that stand out. One of the things I love about Romans is the rhetorical questions. That Paul asked rhetorical questions for the purpose of drawing in the audience to provide clarification and or correction for their current beliefs. For example, Paul says, And why not do evil that good may come? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Another literary feature of Romans is Paul's usage of the Old Testament scriptures. Paul clearly communicates that the gospel upholds the law and that Jesus Christ has fully accomplished his mission and that he, being the good news, is to be proclaimed. And without proclaiming Christ, there is no good news that is being taught. The themes of this letter, first and foremost, Romans is about God. Specifically, the gospel of God. In the words of R.C. Sproul, Romans is Paul's fullest, grandest, most comprehensive statement of the gospel. Its compressed declarations of vast truths are like cold springs that once loose, they leap through the mind and heart to fill one's horizon and shape one's life. I love those words because it's saying that it not only changes our mind, it transforms us, but the book of Romans, it is clear that it shapes our life because what we learn to know about God will do just that. It will change how we live. So the letter of Romans is concerned about setting forth the righteousness of God in the gospel. That there is so much preaching 
now. So much teaching, so much philosophy, so much of man's opinions being expressed. Progressive and modern thought, lukewarm, fluffy nonsense that ruins the soul. Romans is not this. It is not. Romans points to Jesus Christ and the truth of his righteousness alone. And that without Christ, there is no good news. Christ is indeed everything. Without him, there is no justification. There is no sanctification. There is no glorification. There is nothing to look forward beyond this life without Jesus Christ. Without Christ, there is no redemption. There is no heaven There is no washing away of your sins. That righteousness comes from God. This is true righteousness. And because of this truth, Paul discusses the law and its relationship to salvation and to sin. You see, Paul desired the church in Rome to not be divided, but united as Jews and Gentiles For the gospel does not divide. It unites all things in him, and we are united for him. You see, unity needed to be had in the Lord's church in Rome. For you had the law-observing Jewish Christians as well as Gentile Christians who didn't follow the Mosaic law. Listen to these words of Joel Beek. The purpose of Romans is to ground the believer's faith upon God's righteousness imputed through Christ alone for the glory of God alone and for the unity of the church. That without this belief, without this understanding, there is no unity. Unity is also needed today. This is why, as a church, we have a statement of faith that clearly teaches what we believe and why we believe what we believe according to the Word of God. Just in Paul's day and in every generation, clarity is needed because... There is so many opinions on salvation. There's so many opinions on righteousness. There's so many opinions on authority. Who holds it? What is Christ still speaking today? Is Christ done speaking? And according to the scriptures, according to Romans, true righteousness is found in Christ alone. Without his righteousness imputed to the soul of the sinner, there is no salvation. And this truth is spoken with authority, for this is what the Bible teaches. So the gospel speaks to unity, for it unites us together as his children. And as fallen creatures, we need to have our minds transformed for the purpose of protecting the unity that the gospel provides. You know, this epistle also discusses the implications of the gospel in this life for our life. In your life, in my life, there are implications that we are going to learn walking through Romans. That we are to be holy as Christ is holy. That we are to devote ourselves to the renewal of our minds by abiding in the word so that we're not conformed to this world. That we are to live in harmony with one another and to worship Christ with every area of our life. Listen to Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I realize that will be years till we get there, but we need to know those verses. 
As Christians, with one voice, we are to glorify the Lord. How do we do that? With a common belief, a common understanding to the basic truth of what God's word says, that outside of Christ, there is no righteousness. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him, and we do this through the righteousness of Christ the Son. Romans 15 also informs us of another purpose of this letter was to have such strong unity that existed in Rome that when Paul arrived there by God's grace, that he would receive help in advancing the gospel and carrying the gospel to Spain. This is another reason why unity is needed in this local church. We must be unified on what we believe, why we believe what we believe, so that we are advancing what the Lord has spoken and not just advancing man's opinions. This small church is to be involved in advancing the gospel here as well as to the unreached and unengaged. We have been called, as we discussed last week, to not only share the gospel where we are, we have been called to go and to share the gospel. Now let's take a brief look at how Romans has been used historically for the purpose of not only our personal knowledge, for the purpose of encouragement in Christ and to the praise of Christ. The letter of Romans is breathed out by God. It's been used by him in every generation to greatly justify and sanctify his chosen children. In the fourth century, John Christodom, arguably the greatest preacher of that time, had Romans read to him twice a week. Twice a week, he would sit and listen to all 16 chapters of Romans being read aloud to him as he sat and learned. He feasted on the words that we were about to dive in for years, and every week he listened to it, the whole of it, in sitting twice. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Bunyan, John Wesley, they were all saved by the words of Romans. For Augustine, it was Romans 13, 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. For Martin Luther, it was Romans 1, verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For John Wesley... It was the introduction to Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. He was in a spot sitting and learning, and he overheard brothers reading aloud the commentary that Martin Luther wrote. And John Wesley's words, my heart was strangely warmed. All the reformers saw Romans as the key to understanding all of Scripture, connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even reading commentaries this past week, one commentator noted clearly and very articulated, he said, there is a reason why you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and then immediately after Acts, you have Romans. He says, we have the four Gospels that we learn and we study and we see the life of Christ. Then you have the early church, and in establishing the early church and moving the early church, Romans is next. And you need it to understand all of it. Connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
John Calvin said that when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. Now, as a short personal testimony, the words in Romans, by God's grace and power, brought about my own salvation. I was blessed to be involved in a biblical church growing up under the leadership of Dr. Leroy Patterson. He preached the love of God as well as sin, death, hell, and judgment. He preached the full counsel of God with great urgency each and every Sunday and Wednesday for all who hear to repent and to believe in Christ. I learned about the wonderful greatness of God verse by verse, and when it came to the good news of Christ, we learned the Roman road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I was taught that over and over and over again. I remember receiving bookmarks with different colors on each verse that we would, put, we would give. And we would put in our Bibles, when we went out and talked about Christ with others, we would bring up the Roman road. Romans 5a, but God shows his love for us. And while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It was these verses that brought about my salvation. These verses brought about conviction of sin in my life and the understanding that I was separated from God. These verses showed me that my filthy rags were just that. And I was in desperate need of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. God used his breathed out words in Romans to wash me clean, just as Romans 10.17 declares. So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Later on in life, the Lord also used Romans along with the gospel of John and Ephesians to fix my theology. The epistle of Romans was also used in the life of my wife as well as my oldest daughter, Addison, to bring them to salvation. Maybe you, or maybe perhaps you're here this morning and you're not yet saved. Maybe the verses you just heard will draw you to Christ by his grace. This letter is needed. Romans is needed for your spiritual health, for my spiritual health. Romans is highly important. Romans helps us as Christians not only know our Savior and how he lived, but it helps us think biblically and order our life so that we will not waste our precious time, but please him with every area of our life that is even now our life is passing away. Therefore, Romans requires for us to dive into it, to rest and to look at it and to not push as fast as we can through it. Romans teaches that we are justified by faith alone, and anything else is wrong. But, 
the justification that comes through faith alone in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, that faith is never alone. For the gospel of God that saves the Holy Spirit that comes upon us and fills us and makes us born again, along with God's holy word, will cause us to live holy lives. And so if you're here this morning and you say, well, I've, I've prayed this prayer, I've said this, I've gone through this, and you're not living a holy life, dear one, you are not saved. Yes, we all stumble. Yes, we all fall. Yes, we all fall short, and we're going to fail each and every day. But the gospel that saves is the gospel that sanctifies. That God will sanctify us as his children. He will cause us to live holy lives that please him. So with this introduction, let's look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is his introduction to these people that he has never met. In First and Second Corinthians, Paul began his letter by saying, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. In Galatians, he said, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead to the church in Ephesus and Colossae. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the beloved church in Philippi whom he loved. He just began by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. His letters to Timothy began this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of all the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Titus, he said, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, with according to godliness. And to Philemon, he said, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And here he says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul declares himself to be a servant. The Greek word here is doulos. It means bondservant. And clearly, even better, it means slave. That a slave is not a hired hand. A slave is a purchased man. That Paul begins by declaring that he has been purchased. So specifically, Paul introduces himself to the church in Rome, to people he has never met. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I am purchased and I am owned by Christ. That would have leapt off the page. Paul tells him later in his introduction, the payment, the price paid for him was also Christ. That Christ paid for me and I am owned by him. That Paul is a slave of Christ Jesus, that he is not his own. That a slave of Christ Jesus and an apostle, that is quite a claim. Quite a claim. Because Paul wasn't around during the life of Christ. A slave of Christ Jesus and an apostle. An apostle is one who was sent. An apostle of Christ Jesus required the meeting of three categories. Category one, a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry. A disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Category two, an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. An eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. And number three, called by Jesus himself. Paul failed in category number one, number two. 
Paul was not a disciple while Jesus walked this earth, and he was not an eyewitness of the resurrection. But Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him, Jesus saved him, and Jesus called him. Just remind us in Acts 9, verses 1 through 6, before Paul was named Paul by Christ himself, he was called Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Acts 9, 15 and 16. For he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So imagine this. Saul is walking this road to Damascus. He's got papers in hand by the authorities of those on this earth. And he walks into, he's about to enter where he needs to go. He's walking on this road to Damascus. And Jesus Christ appears. Basically, Christ ruined his life. Christ shows up. Christ says, I, why are you persecuting me? All these things that you're doing, dragging men and women from their home, dragging them to jail because they are Christians, you are not just persecuting them, you are persecuting me. I am going to save you. I am going to show you what you must do for my sake. And those Christians that you were intended to suffer, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for me. So Paul was chosen by Christ himself to be an apostle. This is why Acts tells the conversion of Paul three times. That Paul was called by Jesus himself after he ascended into heaven. Paul even referred to himself as the untimely born apostle to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 15, makes it clear. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. How I wish this will be talked about more. The fact that you can believe something, but you can believe it in vain if you still don't believe it. He goes on to say, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to Cephas in the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Indeed, God's grace is never in vain when it goes out. On the contrary, Paul even makes this bold statement. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul is so very clear here that people miss this. He says, last of all, he appeared to me. 
He is the last apostle. Christ is no longer appearing to anyone else. Paul is the last and untimely born apostle. Why is this important? Because Paul spoke with the authority of Christ. Why is this important today? Christ is done speaking. The only authority that you have to say that God has said, Christ has said, is to read what we have in the word of God. Christ is done speaking. The canon is closed. There are no more apostles and there never will be. During the end of Paul's ministry, he understood this. You see this clearly in his writings. For the polity of the local church was being established. The elders are being appointed to care for local congregations purchased by Christ. For apostles were going away. Paul spoke with the authority of Christ Jesus because Christ gave him that authority. You and I also have authority. As Christians, we have also been sent by Christ to go and to make disciples. This is true. But what we preach and what we teach is not our words. What we preach, what we teach is nothing other than thus saith the Lord what God has said and breathed out. Our authority to go is God-given and what we teach his word is God-given. The word of God is our authority, for it is breathed out by God himself, sola scriptura, scripture alone. The Bible is a sole, infallible source of authority for Christian faith as well as practice. So the church has no authority except the word of God. That is our authority. So we don't make things up. We don't come together and make and twist people's minds and draw their affections into something that is fake and will not last. You either stand on what God has said and you continue to stand on God's said, or you have no assurance for your salvation. So Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul was a slave of Christ Jesus. Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. And Paul was set apart for the gospel of God or good news. I love how clear it is. It's the gospel of God. It's not your interpretation of the gospel. It's not man's gospel. You are set apart for the purpose of God's gospel. That Jesus chose Paul to carry his name to the Gentiles. That Jesus chose Paul to suffer for his name. That Jesus chose to set apart Paul to proclaim God's gospel. That God's gospel saved Paul. And Paul was a sinner separated from God, dead in his sin, but brought near by Christ. That Christ set Paul apart. And God made Paul an apostle. And Paul was set, sent to preach God's gospel, the good news that saves. Now what is beautiful about this, and we discussed this in Sunday school this morning, is looking at the truth of all that God was doing in the life of Paul even before his conversion. Paul sat under the greatest mind of all time. And eventually, by God's grace, I believe Paul was the greatest mind that's ever walked this earth outside of Jesus Christ. He was brilliant. He was intelligent. Even from his birth, where Paul was born, it was needed to accomplish what God had predestined him to do from before he was even formed in the womb. That Paul was a slave. He was an apostle. And he was set apart. And that he was sent to preach God's gospel. The gospel belongs to God. He is the theme. 
God is himself the source. He is the source and he is the theme and he is the one who saves. Paul opens by declaring, I am a slave of Christ. I am an apostle of Christ. I am set apart for the gospel of God. I have been purchased by Christ. I am a slave. He purchased me. I've been called by Christ. I am an apostle. He has called me. I've been set apart by Christ. He set me apart. Christ himself set me apart. And he did it for the gospel of God. And in the words of John Piper, when we read this, we must read Romans 1 and all the rest of this, looking at it and understanding Paul is not talking about who he is. Paul is talking about whose he is, that he belongs to the Lord, that God created you for him, that God purchased you, if you've been purchased for him, that you are not your own, but you belong to him. These opening words need to be carried with us to every verse, every page, every chapter. Why Paul? Why you? Why me? And why not the salvation of others? Christ chose Paul, an enemy of the church, who was breathing out threats upon the people of God, that Paul was an enemy of God, just like us. Paul hated God, just like we did. That Paul was traveling on that road to Damascus for the purpose of persecuting Christians, and Christ showed up in his holiness, confronted Paul's sin, speaking to him and saving him. Paul didn't deserve salvation. Paul didn't earn salvation. Salvation was thrust upon him by the grace of Christ, just like us. Paul continues to unpack this in every chapter, specifically when you get to Romans 9, when you start asking yourself, why me and why not others? It's God's sovereign choice. That God chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise because it's not about us, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's all about Christ. So why Paul? Why you? Why me? Why not all? Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Salvation is thrust upon all who are saved. Why? It's God's sovereign choice. 1 Corinthians 1, if you need to be humbled more. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This gospel that set Paul apart, it has not changed. I was reminded this week, spending time with my kids and watching videos, there is an evolution of dance. There is no evolution of the gospel of God. There is not. The gospel has and always will be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It will not change. There is no evolution. We don't twist what God's word has said to fit the culture and to fit what is changing in society around us, not to appease man, but to glorify the Lord. We preach what has been entrusted to us as ambassadors who are sent by him to preach the word. 
There's an evolution of dance. There is no evolution of the gospel of God. It is his gospel, and we dare not change it. If you are his, we thank him and we worship him, for we have been set apart by the gospel of God for the gospel of God. You are his child. In other words, as Paul says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Fill that in with your name. Casey, a slave of Christ Jesus. If you've been purchased by him, you are his slave. So are you confident of your salvation? Do you have assurance that you belong to Jesus Christ? Have you been called? Have you been purchased? Have you been set apart? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, the reason that those words are true is because God convicts you of sin. And if God doesn't convict you of your sin, you will remain spiritually dead. That's why when he goes on to say in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are wretched, you will have no desire to call upon his name with great reverence, great humility. It will not happen. So I encourage you, if you hear and you are convicted of your sin, call on Christ For he alone is true righteousness. Outside of Christ, there is no true righteousness. Maybe you're asking, why is that so important for me? Because one day you will stand before the Lord in all of his holiness. And without the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, without you repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, the Lord will look at you and he will be done with you and he will sentence you to hell and you will forever punish, be punished under his holy and righteous and good wrath because you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You cannot come to God and say, God, I have done this. I have done this. I have done this. The Lord will say, I never knew you. You come to God and you are robed. You are clean. You are set free. You're welcomed into the banquet because of Christ and what he has done. There's no robe for that righteousness except for Christ. Christ is the robe. So I hope this week, over the next few years, you will have intentional, quiet, uninterrupted moments of thinking and considering how good the good news of Jesus Christ actually is. I hope you will take some much-needed time to read and meditate upon the words in Romans over this next week and over the next few years. And perhaps, maybe, you need to have yourself, have someone, or maybe have a CD or something, read to you Romans twice every week. Where you sit down, you have all of Romans read to you in its entirety to rest in Christ to give glory to Christ, to praise Christ for all that he has done, all that he has accomplished in your life, and all that he is going to accomplish. As we read and we study this epistle, I hope you will petition the Lord for those in your home, for those in this church who are lost. As we read about individuals who've been saved through Romans, we better we better come before the Lord and pray for him to continue to do that here and in our homes. 
May the Lord bring about salvation to this church and to your home as we study this letter. May the Lord save the children in this church through Romans. So we need to pray for the salvation of the lost. And I hope you leave here thinking not, hey, this this sermon was exactly what I needed. Maybe so. Praise be to God. I hope you leave here thinking and meditating upon how great Jesus is. That true righteousness is righteousness from Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for your holy word. Lord, I pray for not only this morning, but for all the weeks and years that you allow us to walk through this, Lord, that we would truly glorify you with all that is said and done. Lord, that the truth of the righteousness of Christ, we know it has completely covered us, but it will begin to bleed over into more and more areas in which we are elevating self and not you. May what we say is true in our thinking and our beliefs be more clearly presented in our life, Lord, that we love you. May we talk much about Christ. Lord, I pray that we would talk more about Romans and your holy word this, this year more than anything else. More than we care about what's going on in the culture, sports, or any of our hobbies, Lord, that we would speak and think about and meditate upon your word and the greatness of Christ. Father, we petition you even right now, Lord, that you would draw the lost to you. Every time the words that are said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God demonstrated his own love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, would you use those verses to save and to sanctify individuals? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for being able to gather together with individuals who have been purchased by your blood. Thank you for allowing us to gather and to sing praises to you, to hear your word being read, hear your word being proclaimed by a fool like me. Your righteousness is indeed everything. It is true righteousness that cleanses from all sins. It allows us to enter that banquet forever feasting with you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and ask all these things. Amen.